Hope that you have your Bible with you today. Hope you'll bring it every week. <laughs> You're going to really wish you brought it this week because it's one of those sermons that talks about the Bible in the, in the sermon. You're going to say, oh, I wish I had my Bible. Um, but it has been an awesome day. You guys missed it in the first service. We had a baptism for a Leo and Warfel, a young man that came and whole family was up here. God's been at work in the lives of young people. And did you know after this service... Uh, little Kenley Gantner came to me, one of my middle schoolers. She has received Christ in her heart and must be baptized. We got more coming too. So um, it's, it's really neat when uh, you start seeing God doing these things. This momentum starts to be building. Uh, it's really, really good. So be excited, church, because God is at work and he wants to be at work in our lives as well. Uh, even if you've already made that decision to be baptized, uh, you are still hopefully growing in Christ, which we'll be talking about that some today. And uh, he's at work, so this is a good place to be. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to accomplish something in life that, like, in the middle of it, you started to face some difficulty and you had to persevere or continue working hard? And you ever done anything like that? You ever signed up for one of those races, you know, like a 5K or a 10K or something like that? And you got to mile marker one and you're like, uh oh. <laughs> you ever done that? You're like, I paid for it, I gotta finish. Um, that is sometimes life is just like that, you know, and you start thinking back, back to your training, trying to figure out, what did they tell me? Well, they told me the hard time was coming. How am I going to get through this? Well, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to second Tim, in 2 Timothy. Um, we're in 2 Timothy, by the way, if you're new with us. That's kind of worth, we're getting really close to the end of this sermon series, that book. So you can turn to 2 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 3 today, but... Apostle Paul, he knew about the struggle of first century Christianity, okay? Um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys are like big history buffs, but in AD 64, something happened called the Great Fire of Rome, okay? And the Great Fire of Rome, this fire burned in the city of Rome for like nine days. It basically destroyed half the city. Um, and the emperor in charge at the time was named Nero, Nero, N-E-R-O. He was not a very nice emperor, okay, to put it mildly. He was actually kind of crazy and really angry at people. Um, Plebe had his mother killed. He's just a bad guy. Anyways, <laughs> the rumor goes that he started this fire on purpose because he wanted to clear some land for a new house he wanted to build or something like that. That turned out to not be true, but regardless, he had to make a, an excuse, something. He had to blame some people for starting this fire. So who did he blame? He blamed the Christians. The Christians were kind of an easy target at the time. Not a lot of people in Rome liked the Christians. They didn't come along and worship all the other Roman gods, you know, like they were supposed to. And so they blamed the Christians for this fire. And that kind of started the first empire-wide persecution of the Christians, okay? Well, the Apostle Paul got caught up in that persecution, and he finds himself in prison. And that's where he is at this point when he's writing this letter to his friend Timothy. Um, he is in prison. He knows he's going to die soon. In fact, he does die. He, he is martyred not long after he writes this letter. Um, and you know what? It's pretty amazing to me. Paul's response to all of the stuff that's happened to him is still instructive to us. You know, if I'm in prison wrongfully accused and, and being treated wrong and I'm about to die, there's a really good chance I'm going to start feeling kind of like, woe is me. You know, I can't believe I've been treated so unjustly. No, Paul, his mind turns to the church. 
His mind turns to his friend Timothy, who he knows is is going through struggles. Remember last week we talked in verses 1 through 9 about these false teachers that had come into the church. Paul is thinking about Timothy and his struggles, and he wants to encourage him to continue to to stay the course, if you will. And indeed, at some point um, after this letter, we know that Timothy was arrested In Hebrews chapter 13, we find out that he had been released, so that meant he had been arrested, okay? So this is first century Christianity, not real real easy, okay? I know for the majority of our lives in the United States of America, Christianity's been pretty smooth, okay? If you know people that live in other areas of the world, you know that we've had it really easy. Um, It may not always remain that way, though. And so Paul knows that Timothy is in the middle of this difficult task, you know, trying to help the church there at Ephesus to stay with correct doctrine, even in the midst of these false teachers that were in the church, trying to teach the believers to live their lives well for the sake of Christ. Um, he knew that this task of Timothy's would often be thankless. You know, sometimes, as Pastor said, you know, sometimes uh, working your entire life uh, for the sake of others to teach and things like that, um, he probably works a lot more hours than we know. Um, how many of you ever got a text message from Sid at like 2 in the morning and then another one at 6 in the morning? You're like, when did you sleep? But though this hardship was going to come, Paul wanted Timothy to continue in the things that he had learned. Okay, drawing on the heritage of faith that had been passed down to him. So read with me today, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're in verse 10. We're going to finish up the chapter today. Paul says this to his friend Timothy. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, like those from last week, they will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Can we pray? Father, um, as we open your word right now, I pray that what we read is truth to us. I pray that what it is is clear. I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand it correctly and apply it powerfully in our lives so that we can be the men and women uh, you desire us to be equipped for every good work. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Amen. Last week in verses 1 through 9 of this chapter, we studied Paul's warning to Timothy about the false teachers that were there in the last days. There was this long list, if you remember, of characteristics of these false teachers. It was a long, like 19 things about how bad these people were. Basically, if you remember, we said that they only loved themselves that they did not love other people, they did not love God, and their religion was really just for show, 
okay, that they would take advantage of, of weaker people that would believe anything and, and they would pass on their message that way. Well, here in verse 10, Paul starts out talking to Timothy. He says, uh, but Timothy, that's not you. He says, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and even my persecutions. He's saying, Timothy, good job. He's giving him that pat on the back. He's saying, I know it's hard right now, but you're hanging in there. Being an encourager. This next verse, not so encouraging to me. He says, in fact, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm like, Paul, why do you say that? He says, no, I want you to know uh, this life of Christ, this message of being a Christian isn't all about good things happening to you while you live here on earth. Does God bless us? Yeah. Do you know what those blessings are going to look like? Probably not what you thought they were going to look like. He says that all people who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus are going to be persecuted. He's saying that from a prison cell. And yet, I feel like as he's typing in his internet to to email this to Timothy, I feel like he's got a smile and saying, hang in there, because there's going to come a day, the day of the Lord, where everything is going to be made right. See, hope as a Christian, in case you were wondering, isn't about the time that you're here on life. It's a blessing to be a Christian here on this earth. Man, it's wonderful. And God does some things for us that we could have never imagined. And he he allows us to be part of his mission here on earth. But our hope is in the one day when Jesus has his day. Are you with me? And that day, everything will be made right. He says that we're all going to be persecuted if we try to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And in the middle of that, that while we're struggling, the evil people, he says, the imposters, Uh, Like we talked about last week, the false teachers, they get to go on from bad to worse, deceiving people and being deceived. Have you ever thought it to yourself? How come is it when the good people try to do the good things, they get uh, struggles? And when the bad people are doing the bad things, they seem to succeed. You ever wondered that? Doesn't seem very fair. But Jesus told us, he says, it's okay. It's going to be trouble. But don't worry, because in the end, I've conquered it all and we're going to be all right. It's just that the hope doesn't necessarily come as fast as we want judgment to come on the wrong people when they're doing the wrong things. But last week at the end, he said, don't worry because they will be found out. So people who live godly lives in Christ, they're going to be persecuted. Evil people and imposters, they're going to sometimes be successful. But that's what Paul's saying. If you got into this Christianity thing because you thought life on earth would be easier, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That was Jesus' message. He said, no, I'm sorry. Following me means denying yourself. It means not always getting your passions and pursuits and desires, but rather seeking after my passions, pursuits, and desires. Picking up your cross and following me. Difficult message. So Paul is encouraging. He's saying, last week, these were the guys that are false teachers. This is what they're like. But Timothy, you're not like that. You followed my teaching. And then he gets to verse 14. And this is where we find really kind of the first command, the only main command of this entire passage. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
So continue. That can be the title of the message today if you want it to be continue. Continue in the word. Don't give up. Hold on. Press on. Persevere. He's not saying from prison, Timothy, run. They're coming for you. Get out of the whole church thing. It's not working out for us. He's not saying that. He goes, I'm in prison, but stay there where you are and teach as many people as you can the message that I taught you, the message of Jesus, the gospel message, the good news, so that we can bring as many with us as possible. Isn't that an awesome message? And Paul's tough. Paul's tough. Fixing that his head cut off, and he's telling the guys, no, hang in there. We're all going to be fine. <laughs> he goes, you know two things. You know the people who taught you the scriptures. And he knows the scriptures themselves. You have known the scriptures. And the result of him knowing them is that he has believed them. He says that you have been convinced, firmly believed. You know that the scriptures that you read are true. So there's a few things that I want you to see here. Number one is that we should continue in God's word because of the confidence we have in it and in those who taught it to us. He says, Stand firm because you know whom you learned it from. Who did Timothy learn the scripture from? Do you remember? His mother and his grandmother, right? Lois and Eunice. They got a whole verse to themselves in chapter 1. This great example of, of gospel family, of family worship, family discipleship. Okay, grandmother teaches mother, mother teaches son. Son grows up into the Lord to become a missionary who gets arrested for believing in Jesus. It's a great story. I love that. He can firmly believe it because he's convinced in it. His confidence is in it because it is breathed out by God. He says that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's divinely inspired by God. It says exactly what God wants it to say. So if there's any of this stuff floating around out there where you think that the people that wrote the Bible just kind of wrote whatever they thought that they were gonna, that they should say. Or if there's some belief that some guy went into a cave somewhere, wrote the whole thing, came out, was like, hey, no, no, no. you got to decide for yourself if God's word is what God's word says it is. See, for us to say that all scripture is breathed out by God, all scripture is divinely inspired by God, but for us to say, I like this verse, but not that verse, man, you might as well throw the whole thing out. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Because the Bible itself claims to be the very words of God. Isn't it a better possibility that maybe we just don't have the mind of God to understand every word of it the way he would like us to understand it? His ways are his ways, okay? His ways are above. Our, his thoughts and mind are way out there. So when we come, something, come to something in Scripture where we don't surely understand it, we don't say, well, I'm going to toss that out. We say, God, begin to teach me so that I can help to learn and understand it better. Are you with me? Because I know that it was breathed out by you. It's divinely inspired by you. It says exactly what you want it to say. It must be a message for me. The New Testament talks about this not only here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Nothing was written in this book by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, talking to that church, says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. The Old Testament talks about it too. The Old Testament's all about God writing everything out. In Deuteronomy 10, Moses writes down that God told him, hey, 
Remember the Ten Commandments you broke? Remember when Moses broke the Ten Commandments because he was so upset? God says to him, I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. Who wrote on the tablets? God wrote on the tablets. It was God's word, God's commandments, God's statutes, God's precepts that the entire Old Testament is talking about. The question for us today is, do you have confidence in God's word? Timothy had confidence in God's word. You see, if we believe that we have confidence in God's word, we say, hey, I believe that uh, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Okay, but then we don't go to the word to find out what it means to live like him. I don't mean to, you know, make you upset or feel guilty. I just want to say, do you have confidence in God's word? The second reason we should have confidence, we should continue in God's word, is because it is able to make one wise unto salvation. What he says, he says, um, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from who you learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this is very interesting because at the time Paul is writing this to Timothy, do we have the whole New Testament? No. He's being writing it right now, right? So he's writing it so they don't have it. So what's he talking about? You've been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the Old Testament because they did have the whole Old Testament at that time. Now, you're telling me, wait a minute. He says you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the Old Testament talks about Jesus. How many of us thought the New Testament talked about Jesus Then the Old Testament talked about the law and Moses, King David and all that kind of stuff, right? No. Paul is saying, look, the Old Testament will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Some people are amazed that the Old Testament could be used to lead someone to Christ. But that's exactly what the apostles did when they preached. They didn't have the New Testament yet. So when they preached, they preached the Old Testament. And they showed people how the Old Testament pointed them to Jesus. You know, the same thing happened to my father. My dad was a pastor, but my dad didn't come to know Jesus until he was in his mid-20s. I've heard this story so many times in my life. But him and my mom went on their first date. My dad, you know, he was really intellectual. And so he was letting her know how he was agnostic and thinking about all these things about, you know, life and well, my mom didn't like that because she was already a believer. And at the end of the date, my mom wasn't looking so happy. And my dad says, well, what's wrong? You know, didn't we have a nice evening? She said, well, it just hurts me that what is so important to me means nothing to you at all. Well, apparently my mom was pretty enough that my dad didn't just say, forget that. Instead, he goes, I better figure out what, what I should do if I want to date this girl again, right? So he went out and bought himself a Bible. Okay, now my dad did grow up in church, and so he knew some things, but he didn't know some things. Are you with me? So he bought a Bible, and if you've been in church a long time, you'll know he bought a copy of one of the first, uh, the Living Bible. Okay, so we had King James Bible, right? It's really hard to read if you ever read that because it's kind of old English language. And so I don't remember what year it was they came out with the Living Bible. It's kind of the Bible in a little bit easier to read language. So my dad buys that. And my dad is reading the book of Leviticus. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? I have. And so he's reading probably somewhere in chapters 4, 5, or 6, I'm guessing. And did you know that my dad gave his life to Jesus when he understood about the sacrifice and how there had to be a shedding of blood for the covering of sins? And he gave his life to Christ reading the book of Leviticus. Because the whole book is about Jesus. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's talking to that church, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he tell him? He said, Christ died for our sins, what? In accordance with the scriptures. Old Testament. So the Old Testament talks about Christ dying for our sins. He goes on to say that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, what? In accordance with the scriptures. It means if we'll know our Bible, if we'll, if we'll look at our God's word, his message to us, those scriptures of the Old Testament, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is Christian in nature. That's the whole story. The Old Testament anticipates Christ and the New Testament explains Christ. Isn't that great? A friend of mine, Tony, when he talks about Jesus in the Bible, this is what he says. He says, he is promised in the beginning, he's there in the middle, and at the end he is held up as the object of our worship for eternity. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. So Timothy was to continue in the Christ-centered word of God because it can make us wise unto salvation. Third reason. We should continue in God's word because it is profitable. Look what he says. Now, we already know he's just told us the Old Testament, the, whole, the sacred writings are profitable for our salvation. What else are they profitable for? All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. The scriptures are totally Sufficient, totally sufficient. You don't have to have some sort of like Amazon Prime account in order to grow up spiritually. There's some really good books out there that will help you, but the scriptures are totally sufficient for your spiritual growth. That's what he's saying. Teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness. The Bible shapes our beliefs as well as our lifestyle and can shape us into the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible does all of that for us. This is why we preach scripture, by the way, okay, at Heritage, because we need to hear what God has to say to us rather than my opinion or Sid's opinion or some general, you know, like uh, application or practical suggestion about how we think you should live life. The Bible meets our deepest needs the way other books cannot. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Have you ever struggled with a certain sin that you just can't seem to get rid of? And you keep wondering all these ways that you can work into your life to try to, you know, help you get over that one thing that has that hold on you. Maybe it's because we don't spend enough time in the word, because if we would, the word might correct us. What's the Bible say? I've hidden your word in my heart that I will not. You know that you know that. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So the secret to living life in a godly way, in a manner where we begin to drop sins off as we grow closer to him, is by knowing his word and guarding our heart according to it. We should continue in God's word because it's profitable for us. You do things that are profitable for you, don't you? I mean, if you think something's good for you, don't you do it? Don't you try to eat healthy and exercise and invest your money so you don't waste it? Don't you buy your wife flowers every once in a while because you know it's good for your health? <laughs> you know? Don't you, don't you try to, like, be nice to your boss because you think it's profitable for you rather than being mean to your boss? If we think things are profitable for us, we do it. 
That's easy. If I know it'll get me something, why would I not do that? Well, the, the Bible is profitable for you. It teaches you. It rebukes you. It corrects you. We don't always want to be corrected and rebuked, but we need that as we grow up into him. The fourth reason is this. We should continue in God's word because it completes God's work in you. That the man of God or woman of God, okay, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete and thoroughly equipped. God's word is what prepares us to go out and be on God's mission. I mean, if you don't know God's word, may I ask you a question? What do you say to your neighbor who loses a family member unexpectedly? What's your message of hope if you don't know God's word? Hang in there. Sorry that happened. What's your message of hope? See, God's word equips us to be able to be prepared to do his mission. If, if I come to know Jesus, now that's awesome. I am saved. I am stamped, not guilty any longer before God the judge. He sees Christ's righteousness in place of my sin, and I know him as Savior. But the more I know his word, I can also know him as provider and comforter. I can know him as ultimately benevolent and good and caring and giving and I can begin to take on some of his characteristics the more I get to know him. Now, you're not going to be omnipresent. You might think that would be cool, but you're not going to be that. You're not going to know all things. You're not going to snap your fingers or just say something and things start being created. But you can take on some of God's characteristics to a certain part. Can't you become more generous? Is God generous? Can't you become more loving? Is God loving, kind and gentle and patient? We can become some of those things if we will learn what God is like through his word. It makes us complete and equipped for every good work so that when he puts us in a position out there in our neighborhood with our relatives or friends or co-workers or the people your kids go to school with, you are ready to serve them in a way that will point them to Jesus. But we have to be Spending time with dwelling in his word. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says that my heart stands in awe of your words. I love the psalms when it comes to reading about how they feel about God's word. I lay in my bed at night and I meditate. I think on your words. Your word is like water for me when I'm thirsty and I can't, I can't fix my thirst. Your word is like that for me. Who talks like that? I mean, people that love God's word to the point where they understand it's sufficient for them in their growing up into Christ. The great John Wesley, he, he said this. He said, at any price, give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. Let me be a man of one book. If you are going to be a man or a woman of a book, be a man or a woman of this book. Man, I tell you. We got to be convinced in it. Stay faithful to the things that you know to be true. Continue in God's word. Are you convinced? Are you convinced in God's word? Are you, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you turn to it in times of trouble? Do you turn to it in times of questioning? Or do we go through life trying to figure out our struggles and, and problems by going all these other things before we ever even turn to the word of God. Is it sufficient for you? Do you find it sufficient for you? 
Do you know the scriptures? Or is it still you knowing what your parents have taught you? You know, at the very young age, before they could even speak back, we began reading the Bible to Ainsley and Braxton. We had the little picture Bible. Who had a picture Bible in your home? And we would read it. They would read it. They loved the stories. But did you know at some point, Ainsley had to decide, Braxton had to decide to want to know God for themselves. It couldn't just be mine and Brooks' faith being pushed on them. Does that make sense? We all have to make that decision for ourselves. But once you decide that, you got to then fall in love with his word. This is God's message to his people. Are you one of his people? This is a message to you. This is his letter to you. And it's not just something to give you knowledge. It's something to transform us from the inside out. What happens is when we read it, the Holy Spirit begins to go to work in our hearts. He helps us to understand what we're reading. He begins to change things in our lives. You know what he's doing? He's correcting. He's rebuking. He's reproofing. He's doing all those things in us, for us. One of the things that makes me more confident in it is the more I read it. Have you ever found that, Christian? The more confident you become in God's word has, is exactly to do with how much you spend in God's word. I will read a passage that I read 10 years ago, and I'm more confident in it today because I've read all the passages around it as well, the things leading up to it. I'm more confident today. So it's not even one of those books where we read it and then we put it down and we go, I got it. Because God's word is this living and active thing, this, this thing that's like a double-edged sword. He says that it pierces through all kinds of things that are going on, our thoughts. Our, it says joints and marrow, but it basically pierces everything because it can figure out where your heart is. What's God's word does? It teaches you what's right, teaches you how to stay right. Sydney loves saying that. And that's exactly what it is for us. So the question is today, are you convinced? Are you convinced in God's word? Are you continuing in God's word? Don't allow God's word to be the thing that taught you about Jesus for your salvation and then became an afterthought to you. Have it. Be in it daily. I would pray that for Harris Community Church, we would be a people so convinced that God's word is what it says it is, that when we went out, we would be fully equipped to be the men and women God desires us to be in this area, that we would be light to a place that's dark, that we would be able to comfort and support and teach and show people a Jesus that they need. We won't be that church unless we are the church that's convinced that God's word is what it says it is. Are you with me? It's not enough for Sydney to believe it. It's not enough for us to put on our website that God's word is a core value. It can't just be this idea that sounds good to everyone else around us. We go, oh yeah, we value God's word. We have to value God's word or it's not really a core value. It's just a sentence on our website. Doesn't really mean a whole lot unless we put it into our, our beings that we would meditate on it daily and nightly and allow it to do what it's going to do in our lives. Can we pray? Father, your word is so powerful. Your word is truth to us. Your word is life to us. Help us to fall in love with it. Help us to understand it correctly. And I pray that we would approach it with an open heart so we allow it to change us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. That we would be men and women fully equipped for your 
good works. Empower us, change us. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people here at Heritage right now. Thank you for the numbers of of young people coming for baptism. Father, allow them to set the example or the pace for the adults as well. That we would be willing to lay down our life, our desires, our passions, our pursuits to pick up yours. And thank you, Father, especially for your son and his act on the cross that made a way for us where there was no other way. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.